listening to sermons from South Point Locust Grove, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. If you're anything like my wife when you're watching this video, probably what's running through your head is, where's this little boy's mother as he's walking through the streets of Chicago uh, with nobody to be there to take care of him and to protect him and to nurture him. And I hope what you see as we go throughout uh, looking at the Word of God today, that that's very much the heart of God for you and me. Um, I remember this past fall, I was able to take my daughter to a, a concert that she really wanted to go to as, as kind of a, a present. Um, and it was uh, outside and colder than it was supposed to be. And we were a little unprepared and we were there like all day and it was raining and it was a long way away. And of course, since I was trying to save money, we're like, we're going to drive home afterwards. And so uh, she's soaked through and through and cold and you know, probably ate way too much junk food because she was with dad, and so she's not feeling incredibly great. And, and then we don't get home until like one in the morning, and as we're pulling up, uh, you know, the light's on, and mom is waiting, and she's ready. She's ready to give that uh, nourishment. She's ready to give the love to bring the warmth, and all Lily was wanting at that time, she said, I just need you to nurture me so much. You know, I just need my mom to take care of me. Uh, I just need that place where I can be comforted. I need that home. And if you, many of you may have had a similar kind of experience. You, you remember maybe it was a particular bad day or maybe it was a, a frightening day or something and you just, you're able to come home and have your parents uh, when you were a kid just take care of you. Um, you know, that is really a good metaphor for what we're talking about today. So we're looking at the, the, another I am statement of Jesus today in the Gospel of John, uh, John 10. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10, but really focusing in on verses 7 through 10 today. Uh, because what we have in chapter 10 is actually two I am statements. And the first six verses, he's kind of introducing the whole, uh, the whole metaphor. Uh, and then in 7 through 10, he's going to talk about the fact that he is the door. And then in the rest of the chapter, he's going to talk about the fact that he is the good shepherd, which we're going to leave for a few weeks from now. Um, and the first six verses, he's kind of introducing that whole concept because they are sort of connected with one another. And so uh, looking at this passage, we're going to read this uh, in context. So looking at verses 1 through 10. So he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. But they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, they did not understand what, uh, what he was saying to them. 
So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Okay, and so a couple of things that we're going to see out of here. And again, this metaphor of the sheep and shepherds, this is a pretty foreign metaphor to us, but it would have been something that was very common to them at, during this time. And when I was fortunate enough to go to Scotland, there were literally sheep everywhere. Like we would drive through a neighborhood that was just like a suburban neighborhood like you and I would see, uh, like many of us live in. And they're just sheep walking in everybody's yards. They're not fenced in. They're not, they're just wandering everywhere. And that's very much how it was in this time. There were sheep from all different flocks mixed up with each other, intermingled with each other, and they would know the voice of their shepherd. Their shepherd would know what, whose sheep belonged to him. Now, in Scotland, I think they would spray paint the different, different colors on all the sheep. You know, they were losing some of those old traditions, I guess. But, uh, but back in the day, they would literally know which sheep belonged to them. And those sheep would recognize their voice and be able to answer that call whenever the call would come. And the sheepfold was very much like a, like a house. It wasn't just a fence. It would almost be like a, like a chicken coop for sheep or something like that. Like it's like a house beside the house, a barn kind of a thing. And it would have a door over that. Uh, and at times, the, the shepherd would literally lay in front of the door to make sure that the sheep wouldn't come in or out and no, nothing that was going to try to prey on those sheep would ever come in or out of that sheepfold. And so that sheepfold was very much a place of security. And so I think that that analogy for us today that really kind of resonates is, is like we are children. We're children in need of good parents. Some of us were fortunate enough to have those good parents, and so we can really relate to that. Others of us, maybe, maybe home wasn't a safe and secure place for us when we were children, and yet even the very absence and the longing for that safety points us to the reality that God intended for us, which was to have that home, to have that place of security and safety, to have the place where you can let down your guard and be yourself. My son, when we were little, anytime we would go out and you would have to put on like jeans, would be like, I gotta put on hard clothes. You know, I hate that, I don't wanna put on hard, you know, I wanna come home and put on soft clothes. And so now whenever we come home, we put on soft clothes because we're home, all right? So we can be ourselves, we're not trying to impress anybody. Um, we feel secure and safe with one another there. Um, and if it's the way it's supposed to be, then our kids can feel that safety and security in their home because their parents are there. Their parents are providing that comfort. They're pro providing that security for those children. And that's very much the heart of God for you and me. And I think that, that one of the things that we're looking for in life is that security, that peace. Not even just a physical one, but like a spiritual peace a spiritual safety, a spiritual place of belonging. And what we see in this passage is that there are all kinds of people who are trying to provide that or who are telling people how to find that peace and safety and security, and yet it's gonna be found in Christ and Christ alone. 
Now, we talked a little bit about, you know, the historical sheep folds and the sheep and things like that. But if we, we really want to see the context for this passage, we're going to look at, look at a couple different places. First of all, the immediate context, if you look just back at the, the previous chapter in John chapter 9, that chapter is really dealing with this question of, of who is Jesus? Is he really the Messiah? Is he just a prophet? Is he the son of man that's prophesied about in the Old Testament? Who is this Jesus? And I really believe, and some of the commentators would agree, that this sort of parable that he tells in John is sort of his answer to that question. I am the door to the sheepfold. I am the shepherd of my sheep. He is the Messiah that is promised. And instead of just pointing to that historical context, it's really pointing very specifically back at prophecy from the Old Testament, uh, specifically one in Ezekiel chapter 34. So if you have your Bible and you want to follow along, I'd love to read just the whole chapter, but you can do that on your own at some point. I'm going to look at just a few verses in Ezekiel chapter 34. Uh, and we're going to start at verse 7, and I think you're going to see how this is Jesus specifically uh, referring back to this passage uh, in Ezekiel chapter 34. So in verse 7, he says, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. What an incredible promise that we have in Ezekiel about what God is going to do. And to break it down uh, just a little bit more, we see in the time that Ezekiel's writing, you had both kings and rulers who were not following the Lord, who were not protecting people from the enemies of God. You also had priests who instead of declaring the truth about God were declaring falsehood, were just using their role as priests to make themselves rich, to feed their own bellies instead of taking care of feeding God's sheep. And God has sent prophets like Ezekiel 
to declare the truth and to call people to repentance, and yet the people of God are refusing to repent, the, the, especially the leaders and the priests are refusing to repent, and instead they're persecuting the people who come and deliver the message of God. And so people are, are suffering because of it. And the, the people of God are, are being attacked from enemies from the outside and from the inside. And they're not finding that rest that God has promised them and that God wants for them. They're not finding that place of, of truth and peace in the house of God and in the, the, the land that God has given them. And so he says, since these prophets and since these leaders and since these priests have not done what I've asked, I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to come to my people. I'm going to gather them up. I'm going to heal their wounds. And we see that fulfilled in Jesus. And so when he, in, back in John 10, says, I am the good shepherd, he's saying, I'm fulfilling this prophecy in Ezekiel. I am God who's come to bind the wounds of his people. I am God who's come to declare the truth. I am God who's come to, to not just bind up and point towards the way. I am the way. I am the door whereby people may enter and find rest. I'm the door that people may walk through and find peace. And so what I want us to do today is we're going to look at, uh, very briefly, we're going to look at, at four, four things that, that Jesus is going to do uh, as the door for his sheep. So through Jesus, the sheep are going to hear the truth. They're going to find salvation, find life, and find it abundantly. So through Jesus, the sheep are going to hear the truth. They're going to find salvation. They're going to find life and find it abundantly. And so the first thing we're going to see is that as the door, uh, the sheep are going to uh, hear the truth in the midst of competing voices through Jesus. So as a door, they're, gonna, they're going to uh, hear the truth in the midst of competing voices through Jesus. And so there are any number of voices competing for our attention today, offering life, offering peace, offering joy, offering pleasure, offering satisfaction. There's any number of those things. And we live in a day and age where it is so easy to be distracted by these competing voices. There are so many things that we can do to entertain ourselves and to distract ourselves from the truth. Blaise Pascal was, one, was, a, was a French um, philosopher and theologian. He said, distraction is the only thing that consoles us of our miseries and yet itself is the greatest of all our miseries. Think about that for a second. So we go to our distractions to console us from the things that make us miserable, and yet it, because of that, it becomes the greatest of our miseries because it keeps us from going to the one thing that can actually solve the problems that we have, the one thing that can actually give us life and hope and peace and rest, and that's Jesus and so those distractions keep us from the one thing we need. They're temporary solutions to, to more permanent problems. I also love uh, what C.S. Lewis said in Screwtape Letters. He, uh, as Uncle Screwtape, uh, was talking to a, a demon about the way that they could 
distract people from worshiping and trusting in God. And he said, much more effective than giant sins are tiny distractions. All the noise in the patient's head will keep them from seeing the truth. Think about all the noise that's in our head that's keeping us from seeing the truth. Think about the distractions that keep us from finding our rest and our peace in Jesus and Jesus alone. And yet the good news is that we have in Jesus a shepherd who comes to seek and to save the lost. He's not sitting back and waiting. He's showing us the way to the door. He's showing us the way to the sheepfold, and his sheep will hear his voice through the noise, through the chaos, through the mess of everything else. My, uh, my wife is a basketball coach, and if you've ever watched a basketball game, um, you, there's all kinds of competing voices, okay? So uh, there are fans yelling, there are referees that you're having to deal with, there are other players who are talking trash to you, uh, and yet it's so important, and you can see a disciplined team that hears and recognizes the voice of their coach, who's going who's gonna to tell them what they need to do in any given situation to help them to avoid the distractions. And where you can start to see things coming off the wheels is when a team doesn't listen to the voice of their coach and starts listening to the trash talking or to their parents in the stands who are telling them something different or to the referee or to their own internal voices and it, they get off track and they don't do the things that they're supposed to do to work together as a team to accomplish this goal. And yet, if they have a good coach and if they've been trained to listen to them, you can see in the midst of that chaos, the only voice that they hear is the voice of that good coach who's working for the good of the team. And in the same kind of way, in the midst of all the chaos, if we know the voice of Jesus, we're able to hear that voice in the midst of everything else in order to find our way to that place of rest and home. But it's not just distracting voices. We see very clearly in, in this passage that there are also uh, voices of, of sin and evil. There are people who are intentionally trying to lead us astray. Jesus calls them in verse eight, thieves and robbers. Who are the thieves and the robbers that he's talking about? In, in his day, he's talking specifically and very pointedly to the Pharisees. He's saying, he's saying people look to you as religious leaders, and yet, yet instead of providing the pathway to that peace and joy in God, you're stealing it from them. You're robbing them of their hope and their joy in God. You're thieves and robbers of those things. And just like that, just like those Pharisees, there are modern day people, many of whom are even in the church itself. We see the Pharisees were not, they're not pagans who were trying to get people to worship false gods. A lot of times the most malicious and most distracting voices can be the ones that seem the most holy and the most righteous. They can be very nice people. They can be very decent people. They can be people who have similar political views as we have. They can be people who have similar worldviews and outlooks as we have, who have similar moral compasses as we have. And yet, if anyone points us away from the voice of Jesus as a place for us to find our hope and our satisfaction and our peace and our life, 
then that is a false teacher and a false prophet. I don't care if it's a political leader. I don't care if it's a church leader. Anyone who tells us that we can find joy, salvation, peace, hope, satisfaction in anything other than Jesus is a liar. We cannot find those ultimate things in temporary people. And so, again, here is not in, the, in verses, chapters 9 and 10, we're not seeing so much that's going to come in other places, like what the kingdom of God is going to look like. What we're seeing here is who is going to point the way? Who's going to point the way to peace? Who's going to point the way to God's kingdom? It's not anyone other than Jesus. And so if you're a, a pastor, if you hear somebody speak or teach, you know, there's some really great, nice, very good communicators who will point to you all kinds of different tips and ways to make yourself happy and healthy and wise in the world. But if anybody tells you any of those things other than pointing you directly to Jesus and Jesus alone, then it's not going to be the kind of thing that's going to be ultimately satisfying or joy-giving. Even good things, if we make them ultimate things, can rob us of life and rob us of joy. So, so much of the damage is often done by those claiming to be shepherds and pastors and teachers, but we see very clearly that far too often those people can be destructive, can be thieves and robbers. Anyone uh, before and after who claims to be or have a way other than Jesus uh, to, to give that rest uh, is, is false, is a liar. Uh, I, I use this uh, analogy several other times before, but, but I think it just works so well. Um, and there was this, uh, this movie a while back called Catch Me If You Can. A lot of you probably saw. Um, it's about uh, Frank Abagnale, who is uh, basically a con man, and he's able to kind of con his way through life for a really long time. And one of the big ways that he does it is counterfeiting money. He becomes a really, you know, an expert at counterfeiting all kinds of money uh, until he gets busted by the FBI. But in real life, because it's based on a true story, um, and they kind of showed this at the end of the movie, the FBI, he's so good at it that the FBI is like, we can use you, you can get out of prison if you'll help us to catch other people who are trying to counterfeit money. And we were watching this documentary one time in school, and it's always stuck with me because uh, he goes in and he, it shows him go, like these banks will hire him to go in and con his, his, their tellers to like, you know, use fake money on them and con them with like kind of smooth talking. And so he'll go in and do that con them into taking in all this money, and then he'll show them how, where they went wrong, where they made their mistakes. And you see him do this in this little documentary about it, and then the thing that he tells him is like, you, you, don't, you can never train people on all the fakes to catch, because there's always gonna be new and better fakes. There's always gonna be different kinds of fake money out there. What you have to do is you have to make someone know what a real, the real thing looks like. So they know in their bones what a real $100 bill looks like. So that if they see a fake, they may not have any idea why it's fake. But they know it's fake because they know what the real thing looks like. And for us as Christians, there's going to be an endless number of false teachers, of false philosophies, of false worldviews. The only way that we can be, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of uh, apologetics ministries out there. Those things are great. Um, you know, it's wonderful to learn all that stuff, but the truth is you're, there's no way you'll ever be able to know it all. 
You won't be able to, because, because the enemy is crafty and there will always be a new philosophy and a new method of trying to tear down the truth of Christianity, to try to point other people in the wrong direction, to try to distract other people from the truth. And so for us as Christians, the best thing that we can do is know Jesus deeply and intimately and to know his voice. What does he say here? The sheep know his voice. We're not distracted by any of these other things because we know the voice of God. And so as the door, we hear the truth in the midst of these competing voices through Jesus. It's a gift of his. We're not able to do that until he makes us one of his sheep and we're able to hear that voice in the midst of these distractions. So through him, we can hear his voice. The second thing we see is that we're saved by entering into God's kingdom through him. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. He can't make it any clearer than that. I think um, Benjamin Keach really comments well on this passage, and he compares the sheepfold for us as believers is to like a palace. And he says, uh, whenever we come through this door, we enter this door, we'll see through Jesus salvation, life, the son of all righteousness, the riches of God that are greater than we can ever, ever imagine. But most importantly, we'll see a full view of the glory of God. When we come through Jesus, we see the fullness of the glory of God in him. How can something be more satisfying than all the things the world has to offer? The fullness of the glory of God is more satisfying. Jesus himself is more satisfying. Unfortunately, if you're like me, you've had to probably try a lot of the things that the world can offer before you can really come to the, the deep understanding of that. How sad is it that we, we have to listen to other voices before we can truly listen to his? But the good news is that if you're listening to my voice right now, there is time for us to turn our hearts to him. There is time for us to trust in Jesus, to enter through his door into his sheepfold, to see the goodness of the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And this is a free gift that he offers, not because of our goodness, not because of our ability to find it, because we couldn't. He had to come and seek us, not because of uh, anything in us, but because of the goodness of God who came to seek and save the lost. He can show us the way to his rest and his peace, the goodness of God. We can be invited into that kingdom that he offers through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. What good news for us is that in this? There's no other good news in the world that could possibly compare to the joy and the satisfaction that we find in Jesus. The third thing we see is that we live and move and have our being through him. We live and move and have our being in him. The second part of verse nine, at times can be a little bit confusing. He says, uh, he'll be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. What does it mean he'll go in and out? 
Does that mean that somebody is coming in and out of the church, coming in and out of the kingdom, coming in and out of salvation? What is he talking about here? And I think it very much points to what Paul says, to live and move and have our being through him. It means we both go into the rest of God and find our peace there as we enter into God's presence um, through church, uh, through our time with our brothers and sisters in Christ, through worship, um, through prayer. We're entering into that rest. We're kind of experiencing what the kingdom of God will be like, but we're also through Christ able to go back into the world and take that with us. We're not, we're not dying and going to heaven the second we become a Christian, but we're able to sort of enter into that rest and experience it, but also go out into the world and take the good news of that to others as well. We're coming in and out of that rest by the Spirit of God through Jesus Christ, through that same door and in his power, able to take the good news of that to others as well. And so it's not just for us to go and to experience that rest, but to take it out and take that to others as well. And in, in Acts 17, 28, Paul says, in him we live and move and have our being. So everything we're called to do and everything we're called to be and who he created us to be uh, is through Jesus. So we're able to find our true purpose in life through him. Yes, we find that eternal rest, but we also find that purpose and that mission for declaring the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth in him as well. And he gives us the power to go and take that love and that goodness to others. And so we're able to, to live and move and have our being. We're able to go into that place of rest when we need it and to go out to live in the world with him and under his protection and in his peace and in his strength. We're able to find rest and pasture and strength in his word and the food that it provides. And we're also to take, able to take that to others as well in goodness and hope and peace. And so the third thing is that we're able to, to live and move and have our being through him. And finally, the fourth thing I want us to see today is that we're able to find abundant life through him. I want us to think about this for, for just a second. So I think so many of us are, are looking for abundant life. So many of us are looking for a life of meaning, a life of purpose, a life of value. What is life for? What's it all about? How can my life have an impact? How can I get the most, live it to the fullest? We see uh, in every culture, there's philosophies and religions built around this idea. And so there's something deep inside of human beings that are looking for this abundant and full life. And I'm not someone who, who normally is trying to bring out all the Greek words and everything in the, the sermons, but I thought that this word abundant was really kind of important. And it's a, it's a, the Greek word is uh, parisis, and it means exceeding the need, supreme, much more than needed, of superior and excellent quality. So, so it really, it means better quantity and better quality than could ever be expected. So, so abundance, far more in quantity and quality than we could ever uh, have expected. This is abundant life that he comes to give us, that we're able to find in him and in him alone. So this thing that we're looking for, this abundance, this more, I want us to think for a second in your own hearts, where is it that you're trying to find that abundance in your life? 
We need to take an honest look at ourselves because each and every one of us, we have something that we think, if this were just true about my life, my life would be full. If I had this person in my life, if this relationship were mended, if this material thing were mine, then I would have what I need to have full and abundant life. But let me also ask you, how many times have you gotten what you wanted? Have you gotten something and yet you found that it wasn't what ultimately was gonna satisfy you? It didn't give you what it thought it was gonna give. Maybe it brings some momentary pleasure, but it's not ultimate joy and abundance like we're seeing in this passage of scripture here. The only way we can get this better quantity and quality than we could ever hope for is in Jesus. And the reason for that is because he created the world and he created us and he made us for him. And so the only way we're gonna have that abundance is in him because that is what we're created for. We're created to enjoy the goodness and the glory of God. We're created to delight in him. And unless we find that in him, we'll try to find it in cheap counterfeits that can never satisfy us. There's this great image in the prophet Jeremiah where he says, uh, my people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the living fountain, and they've hewn out for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water. And so much of the time, instead of going to the source of living water in Jesus, we're trying to capture water and broken cisterns that cannot hold them, that cannot be that source of, of life for us. And so the challenge for us is in all the distraction, in all the voices. I mean, there, you know that there are li- marketers are literally paid to convince you that your life will be happy if you have whatever people are selling. We live in the most the culture with the most kind of voices constantly barraging us, telling us that we just need this thing. If you just have this kind of pen, then your life will be complete, you know? If you just have this car, if you just have this house, if you just have this cool notebook, if you just have this app on your phone, if you just play this game, if you just have whatever it may be, And they're going to customize that for directly where you're weakest because that's what they're paid to do. It's an incredible time we live in, an incredibly distracting time that we live in as well. There's voices, people who are literally making millions of dollars off off customizing your distractions around you. And they're, they're, they're so effective. And so it's so more, so much more important for us to find stillness and silence to listen to the voice of God in the midst of this chaotic age, to hear the voice of Jesus, to know it deeply so we can hear it in the midst of all of these competing voices. A few points of application for us today. A few points of application will be done. So so first of all, think about the reality of the fact that Jesus knows you and calls you by name. I want to challenge you to reflect on that this week and to think about the fact that we have a God who knows us by name. 
You can probably all remember uh, when you were in school, uh, you know, you would have teachers who uh, you loved and teachers you didn't necessarily love very much. And I can almost guarantee you that probably the ones that you loved were the ones who knew you. They were the ones who knew what your name was. They knew what you liked. They knew something about you. You got the feeling that they actually cared about you. Think about the fact that we have a God of the universe who created everything, and yet he knows us better than we know ourselves. He cares about every moment of your life. He cares about your day. He cares about, he cares about you intimately and deeply. He wants you to have abundant life. But that doesn't mean he's promising us all the material wealth in the world because sometimes that would distract us from the life we're really created for. He wants us to have that abundant life because we're created for him and we find it in him. He wants that relationship with us. He wants to give us the goodness of grace and mercy in him, the knowledge of, of, of who he is and his glory. So let's think about the fact that we have this God who knows us intimately who calls us by name, who doesn't leave us in our sin and in our brokenness, but seeks us and saves us, who doesn't hold our sins against us, but forgives us through the sacrifice of his son Jesus on the cross. What good news that is for us this week. Consider deeply what, has been, what we've been saved from and what we've been saved to. We've been saved from a life of of darkness. We've been saved from a life of sin. Some of you, when I was telling the story at the beginning about finding that rest and peace at home, you're like, I've never really known that. I've never had that feeling of, of safety and hope and peace. We can know that we have a Savior who can save us and give us that. That's the deep longing of our heart. We have a Savior who is not willing to leave us in that pain and brokenness, but is going to seek us out and save us and give us that peace. Whatever brokenness we've caused or others have caused in us, he can give us life and life abundantly in his son, Jesus. So what have we been saved from? What have we been saved to? The fullness of the glory of God, a part in his kingdom, adopted into his family and into his household. We've been given a place where we can go and be with God in our soft clothes and not our hard clothes. We can be who we are in front of openly and honestly in front of him, a place where we can have safety and peace. I want to challenge you to focus on Jesus. Look to Jesus. You're, you're going to be surrounded within the church and from outside of the church, from people on TV and from people on podcasts and from people in books and from people in the media and from friends that you talk to and people on social media, with people who have ideas about how you can have life abundantly and fully. But if it doesn't revolve around Jesus, don't worry. Just consider it a distraction. Look to Jesus, the source of life, the source of strength, the one place where we can have that ultimate peace and joy, the only way. If you've not trusted in him, then today is the day. If you've not trusted in Jesus as your savior, then you can have that peace by entering through him the doorway into that sheepfold today, into his kingdom, into his family. He offers that freely to us, not because of anything that we have done, but because of everything that he has done. 
Not because we're so good or, or worthy or deserving, because he is so good and worthy and deserving. He will take our sin upon himself. He died on the cross for our sins to give us life. So if you're not trusted in Jesus, then today is the day. You can talk to me. You can talk to, you know, we're about to have a, a time of, of communion. You can talk to myself or Pastor Chris or, uh, you know, Jason who was up here uh, leading worship earlier. You can talk to, to any, any one of us about what the next steps for that might be. If you've never trusted in Jesus, don't let today go by without doing that. We see in Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous go into it and they are saved. That's good news for us today. That's good news for us today. So at this time, what we're going to do is we're going to have a time where we, we have a, a meal, where we have a family meal. We remember uh, the sacrifice that Jesus made on that cross. Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood, and his body was broken so that he could be that door that we could enter through and find rest and find peace. We could be saved through him. And so every single week at South Point, we take a minute and we take a, a piece of bread and we, we dip it in some juice to remember the broken body of Jesus and the spilled blood of Jesus and the sacrifice that he made to be that door that we can step through and find rest. And so in just a minute, we're going to take some time. There's uh, stations around the room, a couple in the back, a couple in the front. If you're a believer, we want to invite you to come and partake in that meal. If you're not a believer, I want to challenge you Seek Jesus. You can do that in, in your seat right where you are. If you want, if you have more questions about that, come talk to me. Come talk to Pastor Chris. We'd love to talk to you about what that means. Uh, but at this time, what we're going to do, we're going to go to these stations and take part in this meal.